Okay, so um, what I want to talk to you about this afternoon is, is part of a general theoretical project that uh, we have up at, up at Brooks, which is to um, develop the notions of evolutionary economics with respect to geography and with particular respect to the analysis of the long-term development of city regions and regions and their economies. Um, <clears throat> as yet, this is a fairly underdeveloped um, theoretical area, so there's no settled um, agreement on uh, what the um, basic uh, concepts uh, should be or indeed the uh, direction of um, analysis. So there are basically three approaches that have been adopted and, and we've looked at um, these three. There's generalised Darwinism, which as the name suggests, uh, seeks to take uh, Darwin's principles of evolution and apply them in um, economic uh, circumstances. There's path dependence theory, um, which again looks at the relationship between history and the development of economies, and in our case, development of city regions. And of particular interest there is the whole notion of new path creation, which is something that we're working on at the moment, uh, which deals with how uh, new industries get started in particular places and the conditions which um, foster those, those kind of uh, creative um, developments. And the third and least developed um, element of evolutionary theory is, is complexity theory and uh, the um, analysis of aspects of uh, what are described as far from equilibrium adaptive systems with characteristics emerging uh, in conditions of self-organization and where uh, adaptation is one of the um, key uh, phenomena or processes uh, within these systems. And so uh, what I'm going to do then is, is just look at um, one small example of the uh, use of complexity theory from an evolutionary perspective and apply it to the analysis of city regions. The... Um, uh, what I'm going to say tonight is actually taken from a paper that I wrote with Ron Martin from Cambridge, um, which was published in a special edition of CJ Res, which is devoted entirely to this whole issue of resilience and uh, what it means, uh, how it may be applied, uh, particularly in um, city regional contexts. So. Um, that's the uh, advertising for this evening, but uh, I recommend it to you if you want to look further into the notion of resilience. Um, from that paper, I'm just going to deal with these uh, five main topics. First of all, I want to make the point that um, uh, evolutionary economics is a heterodox uh, system. It uh, has some interesting arguments with neoclassical economics, particularly the notion that uh, equilibrium is essentially confined to uh, abstract uh, neoclassical models and uh, is, is not usually found in real world situations. Um, looking at uh, the approach from evolutionary economics that deals with complex adaptive systems and what that means, 
Then taking one example that's been used um, to analyze both ecosystems and um, the development of economies, that's panarchy. With some examples of, of uh, that kind of analysis, uh, looking at capital accumulation and resilience in a couple of cities, Cambridge and Swansea, and also looking at the effects of recessionary shocks on, on resilience in, in cities of that type. So, um, one of the reasons why the uh, special edition of CJ Res was because of the um, perceived growing contemporary relevance of this whole notion of, uh, of resilience. I think the three basic reasons for this. One is the uh, lessons learnt or indeed not learnt from the devastation caused by Hurricane Katrina in uh, New Orleans and the, uh, the, the, the fact that a lot of New Orleans is still derelict after the, after the hurricane, um, largely as a result of the lack of either private insurance or, or state aid. Secondly, uh, there's interest in resilience um, in the context of the recessionary shock that uh, we've just been through or are coming out of. And thirdly, because of the um, neo-Thatcherite cutbacks in public expenditure which are being implemented over the uh, next four years, which will throw cities and regions back more on their own resources and therefore will uh, raise the salience of resilience as um, a way of coping with these cutbacks. So um, the first point is that uh, evolutionary economics, um, in most cases anyway, argues that uh, equilibrium is an entirely theoretical uh, concept, uh, doesn't exist in real economies. And so what uh, we're interested then is in, is in non-equilibrium situations where uh, we can look at resilience as an evolutionary concept, that's to say one that explains the development over the long term of certain urban characteristics. And we're interested in the um, differential ability of a, uh, places, firms, to adapt to changes in competitive markets, to technologies, to policy changes, and, and so on. <coughs> now, the evolutionary position on this is essentially that um, economic evolution depends on the actions of individual agents. And unlike the uh, average agent in neoclassical economics, uh, individual economic agents are able to learn and to innovate and to change their behavior according to the circumstances in which they find themselves. And so this is one of the major reasons why evolutionary economics would argue that uh, economies can uh, never be in equilibrium. And uh, some work by uh, these three, Metcalf, Fosker and Ram Logan, um, on the relationship between uh, modern economics and knowledge, uh, argue that because modern e economies are essentially driven by knowledge and knowledge never stands still, then um, they, the economies can't be in equilibrium and that we have to think of capitalism as an inherently restless process 
The most extreme form of which, of course, are the gales of creative destruction, which uh, Schumpeter talked about way back in the, uh, the late 1930s, early 1940s. And this is just a, um, a quote from uh, Ramalugan and, and Metcalf, where what they're essentially arguing is that uh, economies are based on knowledge, and although you can uh, detect structure and pattern in the uh, use of uh, knowledge, this is not the same as equilibrium. And that if knowledge uh, did ever reach an equilibrium or, or failed to keep changing, then in their eyes, economic development would cease altogether. So what we're dealing with in this perspective is a complex system where knowledge is the key economic uh, resource and where it is continually evolving at different rates, sometimes very fast, sometimes uh, not so fast. And as a result of the evolution of knowledge, um, economies will adapt or will need to adapt and those that don't will uh, soon suffer from uh, economic problems. So this is the, um, a, a typical basic starting point for um, evolutionary economics with respect to trying to understand urban and regional economies. So um, from an evolutionary perspective then, uh, an important attribute of regional economic resilience is the adaptive capacity of local economies. How, how do they change as uh, knowledge changes and, and develops? And so in this uh, conception, what matters for the long-run success of a regional economy is the ability of the labour force, uh, <coughs> technological um, expertise, institutional structures and so on to adapt to uh, market pressures which are imposed on city and regional economies from outside because they are so open. They have no uh, boundaries like nations do. So what we're dealing with in, in terms of, of uh, city economies are very open uh, systems with no clearly definable economic boundaries. And uh, from an evolutionary perspective then, any convincing theory needs to be able to explain how these um, uh, adaptive capacities develop through time. They don't just emerge overnight. Uh, they are built up as a result of learning and uh, learning can take some considerable time. As I'll show in one of the examples, we're, we're talking decades here rather than uh, years or indeed the life of a, uh, a single parliament. So um, there are various uh, models of complex adaptive systems and uh, in, in this particular branch of evolutionary economics it's, it's argued that um, we should look at uh, complex adaptive systems and see what they can tell us about understanding the uh, development of urban economies. Now, what do we mean by a complex adaptive system? What would it, what would it look like if we, uh, if we saw one? Um, these are a number of key characteristics uh, which will crop up later in the talk, but 
Uh, just to go through them very um, briefly. First of all, um, a system will have characteristics which operate across the system but will be connected to each other. So there will be relationships um, distributed across uh, the system and there will be degrees of connectivity. Now that's quite an important concept, connectivity, which I'm, I'm going to come back to uh, in a minute. The, as I've already said, the boundaries between complex adaptive systems and their environments, uh, particularly their economic environments, are not fixed. They're not easy to identify. And so what we're dealing with is constant interchange between the entities that we're interested in, such as urban economies, and their external economic environments, such as their national economy or the, or the global economy. Um, a third basic characteristic is that uh, we're dealing with nonlinear dynamic systems where a constant system of feedbacks and self-reinforcing interactions uh, drives the system on but can also lead to path dependence. In other words, in certain circumstances, these systems can get locked in to a particular technology or a particular form of production. And um, in, uh, as we'll see uh, later on, this is one of the characteristics of cities that um, are lagging in economic terms. They get locked into old industries. And we need to understand why that is and why it's so difficult to break out of those uh, lock-ins. Um, Another key characteristic of complex systems is that the, the characteristics themselves are emergent and based on self-organisation. In other words, there's no guiding mind in charge of these uh, systems. There's no guiding mind in charge of an urban economy. The characteristics that, that it takes on and that um, evolve are the result of multiple actions by lots of actors both within those economies and outside them. And so the characteristics that emerge through time then are, are said to be emergent and the system itself will have self-organising uh, properties which will lead to these uh, characteristics. And um, finally, this whole process of uh, self-organisation in complex systems uh, Is, is the basis of their ability to interact with their external environments. And so some forms of self-organisation make uh, urban economies more adaptable to what's happening in their external environments, and uh, some make them less adaptable or, in fact, make it um, very difficult for them to adapt to changing in changes in external economic circumstances. So... Any um, approach to a complex adaptive systems analysis of urban economies needs to think about these uh, five different characteristics and, and how they influence uh, what we can see empirically on, on the ground. Now, with respect to uh, regional and um, urban economies, 
in the uh, adaptive systems literature, they tend to be characterized by two conflicting tendencies. On the one hand, there's this tendency towards uh, increasing connectedness and um, order. Now, as I said earlier, this notion of connectedness is, is very significant because in um, quite a lot of the territorial innovation um, studies, that's to say studies of, of uh, what makes regions and, and cities innovative and uh, successful economically, internal connectedness and networks are often argued to be a, as it were, a good thing in inverted commas, that, that um, network production systems in Emilia-Romagna or Silicon Valley have been said to be important um, positive features of, of those uh, systems. Um, in this uh, conception, uh, that's not the case, that connectedness actually can lead to a parochial, inward-looking uh, lack of ability to adapt and change. So there's a serious argument here with the uh, territorial innovation models. And so connectedness then is uh, in tension with the uh, potential to reduce the adaptability of the system to changes in environmental conditions. In other words, the more connected a, an internal system is, uh, it's potentially less able to adapt to forces from outside uh, in, 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 for example, a city economy, national economic forces, global economic forces. And so this implies that there's a conflict or trade-off between connectedness and resilience. That what you would expect to find in more connected systems would be less resilience and uh, in, the, in the less connected or the more externally connected systems you would expect to find higher resilience. And so this is an interesting trade-off which comes up again in uh, the panarchy model that I'm going to talk about in a minute. So one example of uh, complex adaptive systems is this panarchy model, which uh, has been developed pretty much um, in, uh, in Berkeley, where it started off as a concern with how ecosystems recover from major shocks but has subsequently been adapted to looking at uh, regional economies and how they um, change through time. And uh, what it argues is that, um, in principle, the uh, contradiction between connectedness and adaptation is resolved in a four-phase process where change is continual and uh, through time uh, systems, and in this case economic systems, will go through a, a, ser a series of regular phases. And um, each of these phases is characterized by the potential or actual um, characteristics of accumulated resources, of internal connectedness and then consequentially uh, resilience. Now what, do we, what might those things mean in practice? Well, uh, 
in, translated into um, a spatial economic context, then accumulated resources would include such as this list here. So we're talking about the competences of firms in places, in localities. We're talking about the quality and skills of the workforce. Um, we're talking about the co-evolution of institutional forms and arrangements with uh, economic change in, in those places. We're talking about um, physical and soft infrastructures, so transport and communication being physical, um, institutional arrangements, uh, tacit knowledge being uh, soft infrastructures. And in the evolutionary context, these would depend on previous forms and structures of economic and social development in the region. So in this sense, history matters, that these are built up through time. And as I said at the beginning, they, they, they're not something which can be parachuted into uh, an urban economy overnight. They are something which uh, takes a long time to develop. And so the accumulated, accumulated resources that you see in a, an economy today are the result of long-term changes and adaptation within those particular economies. Internal connectedness, what would that mean? Well, um, that would be illustrated by patterns of traded and untraded interdependencies. Um, among local firms, so uh, supply inputs might be traded, but um, lower down you see knowledge spillovers, they would be untraded, but would be a, a significant form of uh, connectedness. Networks of trust, um, again in the territorial innovation models, networks of trust are regarded as very important and normally a, a good thing to have. Um, business associations, um, the uh, kind of um, chambers of commerce type uh, organisations and inter-firm patterns of labour mobility. So these would be the uh, empirical basis of connectedness in a particular um, urban economy. And finally resilience then, um, what would lead to resilience or a lack thereof um, this would include innovation and the innovative capacities of local firms. It would include uh, the entrepreneurial culture, for example, um, how many, what's the rate of new firm formation in an um, urban economy. Institutional innovations, do the institutions of an economy uh, prevent adaptation or do they co-evolve with economic change to facilitate adaptation? Access to um, such things as venture capital and also the willingness of workers to reskill and change on a, on a regular basis. So those would be the kind of empirical um, characteristics of the, these three main um, aspects of um, the Panarchy model. Now, coming on to the uh, Panarchy model, which is a, essentially, it's not a theory, it's a description of phases through which um, economies uh, may go. But it, it contains really a, uh, two major loops. 
There's one that relates to the emergence, development, and um, eventual um, uh, stabilization of an economy. So this is from exploitation to conservation. And then a second loop which follows the, those two, or that one, um, which relates to the de decline of an existing structure and the opening up of uh, new types of activity or the potential for new types of activity. And this is uh, the release and reorganization uh, loop. Diagrammatically, um, we, can, we can look at it this way. So if you look at the bottom left-hand corner, we have the initial exploitation phase where uh, this is where a um, new economic pathway is being created, where a new industry is emerging, where innovation uh, is taking place, where in um, this theory anyway, connectedness is low. So uh, uh, a lot of the activity is freestanding. It may be more connected with actors outside the local economy than inside the local economy. And for this reason, resilience is also high. And this is where you see growth, seizing of opportunities. As those opportunities are seized, we move into the conservation phase where um, connectedness becomes high and as a result of that, resilience uh, declines. So although this can be an economically successful phase, uh, it becomes, the economy becomes more stable and can become uh, more rigid. If that happens and an industry that has those kind of characteristics uh, goes into decline, then we have the second loop, which is the release phase and uh, on to reorganization phase. So if um, a, um, a particular industry goes into serious decline, as most of the heavy industries in the UK have done, so uh, you then get, theoretically anyway, the um, destruction of those industries, uh, you get the re release of uh, resources, and so this leads on to the possibility for reorganization, for the development of new industries, or in some circumstances, the adaptation of old industries, and where you see resilience increasing and um, rates of innovation um, uh, in also increasing. So that is a, a, a sort of stylized. Uh, version of the phases through which a, an urban economy or a regional economy um, is like to go through as it adapts uh, over time. And so um, we have these uh, four basic phases. We have the exploitation phase, conservation phase, decline and release, leading on to uh, reorganization and the development of new industries. Now we can look at this across time rather than in the, um, the static picture that uh, the last model showed, where as, as the econ an economy goes through these phases, the argument is that capital accumulation is changing and so is resilience. So during the reorganization restructuring where um, innovation is high, 
then you can see resilience is depicted in this stylized diagram as being high. As you move on to the uh, conservation phase, where the economy is becoming more um, stable, uh, not to say rigid, so you see resilience uh, declining. And so the, uh, these phases uh, proceed through time. The main point of this is that resilience is not a, um, a given characteristic which doesn't change through time. So that uh, in this argument anyway, uh, resilience uh, changes through time according to the phase of adaptation through which a, uh, an urban economy is, is going. Another interesting feature of the Panarchy model is that it deals with different scales. So obviously one of the most important external factors for urban economies is the national economy. What happens in the national economy? Um, what happens in the national business cycle has major impacts on what happens in, uh, in, in city economies. And so uh, the argument is then that uh, larger scales affect smaller scales, but at the same time those smaller scales can impact back on the larger scale. One um, version of this is this uh, model developed in uh, Berkeley where you have the larger scales, um, obviously the larger uh, loops, and the smaller scale being something like an urban economy being the smaller loops. And so they go through similar phases and influence each other as, as they go through these phases. So you have uh, the exploitation phase with slow growth uh, and but innovation. You have K, the conservation phase, where you end up with peak capital accumulation. You then have the omega phase with rapid destruction or collapse of particular industries and then so on to alpha with reorganization and restructuring. So, the, the interesting thing about this model is that it tries to link up, albeit without any uh, major empirical examples yet, it tries to link up the different scales of economic activity. So you could think of this, for example, as the, uh, an attempt to link what's happening in the national economy with uh, its impact and adaptation uh, on urban economies at the, at the smaller scale. So, um, what might all this mean in practice? Well, we, we've done a, a few studies of um, different cities for different purposes. And in this particular case, we picked out uh, two city regions with um, markedly different economic histories over the past uh, half a century or, or so. As we all know in Oxford, Cambridge is widely regarded as one of the UK's most successful, innovative, high-tech and knowledge-based local economies. And it's therefore the kind of economy that we might expect to uh, be adaptable and therefore to be resilient. The city region of Swansea, on the other hand, uh, although in historical terms, uh, back in the early 70s, it started from pretty much a similar economic position to Cambridge, has had a quite different history and has struggled to um, recover from it, loss of its uh, 
first ec main economic role, which was in mining. Uh, it struggled to recover from uh, FDI in electronics, which came in and then went out again. And so uh, Swansea is an example of a city economy that hasn't adapted very well and therefore you wouldn't expect to uh, be characterised by high degrees of resilience. Um, the other point to notice is, again, we're looking at uh, the development of resilience and adaptation over long periods of time. So in uh, these two case studies, we were looking at the two cities from the early 1970s up to, up to the present time. Now, this isn't an eye test. I'm not sure whether you can read it uh, on the um, screen, but this is basically a comparison of the uh, major phases according to the Panarchy model for uh, Cambridge and uh, Swansea. The simplest um, uh, correspondence with the, uh, these four phases can be seen in the Swansea economy, where back in the um, 1960s, you can see the decline of the mining industries. At one time, something like 80% of all the world's copper was exported through Swansea docks. That declined rapidly. And so by the <coughs> 70s, uh, most of those mining industries had gone completely. So they went into a reorganization phase where, uh, because of the lack of indigenous strengths to build on, they decided to uh, foster uh, foreign direct investment and decided electronics was the future at that time and so brought in Sony and later on Hitachi and Panasonic uh, in a, an electronics industry. Unfortunately, this industry was essentially only uh, assembly of technologies that were developed uh, back in Japan, and so they were given uh, cathode ray tubes to manufacture. They were the, one of Europe's leading centers for the manufacture of cathode ray tubes, and also um, VCR technology. So for a short period of time um, there was exploitation along uh, these electronics industries but uh, as soon as the new technologies were developed of um, flat, screen, uh, flat screen televisions and also CD recorders the technology was um, taken or, or started up in places like Barcelona so the industries closed almost overnight in, in Swansea. One respondent told us an entire factory was taken away on half a dozen lorries over one weekend. So very rapid um, decline in, in that industry. And so then we go into another reorganization phase where um, they have started in Swansea a technium program, which is a very small scale attempt to um, incubate high-tech industries and hopefully develop them into a, a new economic activity uh, for Swansea. Uh, we'll see how successful that's been in a minute. Cambridge, on the other hand, has taken a long time not to go through so many cycles. Back in the 60s, its GDP per head was pretty much the same as Swansea. They, um, Cambridge had been essentially an agricultural economy. 
but around the 60s, um, with the, for example, um, uh, some Cambridge graduates formed uh, Cambridge consultants for uh, proposing engineering solutions to other people's technological problems, the whole high-tech economy began to uh, take off in Cambridge. It took the better part of 20 years, however, so it was um, slow development. It wasn't overnight. But even when we come up to the 80s and 90s, we can see that those developments are still being exploited. So instead of having um, an industrial collapse, as happened in Swansea, Cambridge was still developing and adapting and changing its industries. It's now questionable whether the momentum has gone out of that continual change, and it may very well be that uh, Cambridge is now involved in a conservation phase of um, previous technologies. So what would that look like if we compare the two in this stylized form? So what we're looking, harping back to the earlier graph that I showed you of capital accumulation versus resilience, if we look at these in the case of Cambridge and Swansea, we can see that um, in historical terms, it looks as though Cambridge has adapted and, and had more resilience than the Swansea economy over a longer period. It, Swansea has gone through two cycles, whereas Cambridge uh, has not completed one cycle over this um, 20, 30 year period. So a big difference in resilience between the two economies. How does that play out in terms of uh, economic change? Well, if we look at um, their resilience in the face of major economic shocks, of which recessions are um, the most obvious ones that, that we can, we can recognise uh, earlier. Here, if we look at the uh, change in total employment in Cambridge and Swansea from 1980 onwards, we can see, uh, as I said earlier, that they both start from pretty similar positions with similar amounts of employment and not two different um, GDPs per, per capita. The Swansea is um, less resilient to, sw total Swansea employment is less resilient to the early 80s recession. It, it declines, um, recovers a bit uh, before the next recession, but doesn't, doesn't recover to its original level. Um, falls again uh, during the 90 recession and then has uh, increased very slowly up until these figures, which were unfortunately just before, from our perspective anyway, just before the 08, 09 uh, recession. Um, Cambridge uh, in total, you can see uh, a somewhat similar pattern, although recovery and resilience are higher, so it is hit by recessionary shocks, but then recovers and soon exceeds the uh, previous level. So in total employment terms, Cambridge appears to have been more resilient to these major economic shocks than Swansea. The big difference comes in um, manufacturing. And this is fairly typical of the kind of cities that have been dependent on manufacturing um, in the UK economy. So 
with the recession, manufacturing uh, declines markedly. And in the case of Swansea, it declines markedly. It then doesn't recover before the next recession. It then declines again markedly, and then up until 08 hadn't recovered to uh, the pre-90 recession levels. So manufacturing tends to ratchet down with recessions and um, in this case indicates a lack of adaptation and resilience. Cambridge on the other hand, you can see although manufacturing is hit by the recession so that it it does have a shock, it does have an impact, um, manufacturing then has recovered and has continued and is not so different uh, in 08 as it was from back in 1980. So at least in uh, Cambridge, there's some evidence of resilience and adaptation in in manufacturing employment. Um, With respect to services, uh, one of the things you see is that uh, services are impacted by uh, recession but then have also recovered, more so in Cambridge uh, and and less so in Swansea. But although I don't have figures for Cambridge and Swansea, this is is not necessarily all that it seems in terms of resilience. We have another study of the West Midlands, which looks at the difference between uh, private and public sector employment. when you um, disaggregate this, what you find is that it's the, essentially the public services which have contributed a great deal to service employment growth in um, these kind of cities. They've also been, um, in uh, more or less Keynesian terms, uh, growing counter-cyclically during recessions. So you can see even in the West Midlands, public services were increasing in the 1992 recession, whereas private employment in general um, has continued along pretty much the same level as it was all the way back in in 1971. So this obviously has interesting implications for what's going to happen if we're going to take £20 billion out of public services and uh, with Um, significant impacts on uh, public employment over the next four years and whether or not it's realistic to expect that the private sector will uh, take up the difference and will be uh, able to produce more jobs than are lost in the the public sector. So um, these are the kind of issues that are being raised by the study of resilience and adaptation. And um, there, I'll leave it for this evening. Thank you.